0: Two. Oops, all monsters, a deadly, unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. That weirdo with me, when I can tear him away from his feast of fetid meat, is Gavin.
1: That's right, I'm Gavin, the parapsychologist, and the parazoologist with me is Hess.
0: I don't know if that's true. And when and we and and we're here to as we always are, delight and edify you with tales of mysterious monsters from mythology, film, literature, TV, and gaming, both inside of boxes, uh, outside of consoles, and beyond. Um, each week, we each one of us brings into the shop, unknown to the other, uh, a monster that we have not described to the other ahead of time, and then... We each bring a monster into the shop, unknown to the other, and then we present and discuss what we have put together for the edification of ourselves and you, the listener. Before we get you all too distracted with the intro, uh, let's get to the monsters. All right, Gavin. Yeah, I um, have yet to not get it. Okay. Imagine, you and your merry adventuring band of murder hobos have chased the last remaining survivors of a vicious drow raiding party away from the halfling village. But they have taken themselves down one of their secret, special passages into the Underdark. You are a ranger and an experienced tracker with keen enough senses to track even the cunning dark elves below ground. They are wounded, but you and your band must vanquish them in order to prevent reprisal attacks in the coming weeks. You crawl through the magically obfuscated entrance and traverse down, down, down into the cool, fetid depths of their malevolent underworld. At all points, anxiously guarding against the bizarre and alien creatures that inhabit these alien depths, your cleric brandishes a glowing sword to cut through the darkness, but somehow it seems to help only slightly as the hewn caverns twist and descend in strange baroque geometry. As you enter a vast open cave, stalactites dripping sick ichor from the 200 feet or more above you, you catch a glimpse of the coal-aspected drow slipping into a corridor as one looses a poison-tipped arrow that pins to your oaken shield, sizzling with unnatural acrid malevolence. You charge ahead. The adrenaline spiking in your warrior band, energised with the enemy close enough to taste when suddenly your footing on the path pulls out from under you and the world spins sideways as you are dragged to your knees, half a dozen or more long, wretched, ash-colored arms rend and twist at you, pulling you into a shadowy, unseen recess. You twist and smash at them with your bow and fists, but they are too many. More arms yank your comrades from the path as they shriek in surprise and terror. The wizard unleashes missiles of contemptuous light at the darkness, but illuminating these monsters, they are Grimlocks. Oh, Grimlocks. Grimlocks.
1: I was going to say driders.
0: Uh, yeah, driders driders are good. Anyway, back to the voice. I got to get back into the voice. (laughs) Grimlocks. Grimlocks. They're barely clothed. (laughs) The rumors of their countenance pale in even the most remote comparison to their reality. White-eyed, grotesque mockeries of savage men, skin of torn and filthy tobacco ash... Long, muscular arms, filigreed with strange, innumerable scars. Ratty, torn black hair, matted and long, jutting in every possible direction. They sniff and snarl and gnash their teeth. Some swinging clubs, other crude crystal axes. They cover you in a crowd of shadows and filthy breath. Your screams barely cut through their piles of moonless flesh, and suddenly... Your adventure is no more. That's <laughs> it. Enough of the voice. Gotta get out of the voice. Grimlocks. We be Grimlocks. We're um. What do you remember about Grimlocks, Gavin? Just if I have to, if uh, I had to que- qu- qu- quiz you. They're
1: kind of like um. Cavemen. They're almost like uh, if cavemen had living ghouls. Like they're not undead yeah, ghouls. They're like Living yeah. ghouls.
0: Yeah, the ghouls. Grim, well, ghouls. Grimlocks are in a in a weird. It's um, a weird category. It's a weird. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. weird semi-human, like uncanny valley category is where Grimlocks are. So yeah, first of all, I have to say that universally, when you look uh, when you look up Grimlocks, and I should I, we, that we're taking this for granted that the audience knows this, but the Grimlocks are a Dungeons & Dragons uh, phenomenon. They're a role-playing yeah. game phenomenon. They're not a mythological monster. Um, yeah, they're based on something, I think. Yes, they yeah. are also a um, very clear ripoff of the Morlocks from H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Yeah. Uh, if I had to ask you, Gavin, what year <laughs> do you think The Time Machine came out? Um, the the foundational science fiction novel. If I had guessed, I would have been totally wrong. So this is not a gotcha. But if you were like, when did H. G. Wells's The Time Machine come out? When would you guess?
1: Oh, really? Oh, like nineteen hundred?
0: You are not. You would. You almost would have it. Prices Right style. Eighteen ninety five. You're very, very, very <laughs> close. Actually, very, very close. Eighteen ninety five. So, um, I knew it was before a, a, the twenties. Yeah, H. G. Wells is um, foundational science fiction work, which still is is nearly is like seventy five years after Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But still, there's a lot more yeah. in H. G. Wells's book.
1: Yeah, um, Frankenstein is surprisingly older than I. Than yeah, a lot it's of like think. eighteen.
0: It's like eighteen fifteen. It's wild. But yeah, anyway. anyway. Um, the the Morlocks, as they are called in H.G. Wells's uh, *The Time Machine*, yeah. are part of a bifurcated. Uh, well, system is 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 kind of a, an elaborate way or a simplified way of putting it. That yeah. spoiler alert for the time machine. If you're not going to read, read the time machine, I, <laughs> go back to go back to junior high right now. It's, they're made out have, of people. <laughs> yeah, you've only you've only had 230 years to get it, so I don't know what your problem is. But I am talking about traveling through time in a machine constructed for that very purpose you this our our scientist hero gets in his 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 wobbly bazinga machine and zooms back um or rather zooms forward hundreds of years um and yep. what he finds is incredibly surprising he lands in this like gorgeous natural landscape and when he comes across people the people that he comes across um are kind of these like blonde like illiterate uh kind of like gorgeous idiotic wandering people that just like graze on berries and wear these like fancy hewn like tunics and just kind of like mill around and wait until this like siren goes off when they all collect at the the front at this like cave entrance when a very different group of individuals shows up and drags a bunch of them down underground and then eats them. Um, And (laughs) the the second group, so the the first group, the the meandering blonde idiots are called the Eloi, E-L-O-I, and then the second group are called the Morlocks. And he expands upon this general concept, explaining that, uh, or at least his theory is, That the ruling class developed to become more and more worthless and privileged to a pinnacle of being non-speaking, tottering jackasses that are just literally sheep (laughs) for the Morlocks who are the... Remnants of the working classes who have moved into subterranean, you know, sub, subterranean realm of caves where they live, and basically all they do is like make these garments for the Eloy to wear, which seems like kind of not necessary. But anyway, yeah. um, and uh, and then also uh, send out the like dinner bell siren and the Eloy show up. They drag a bunch of them down the hole and they eat them. <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's all. It's like all of civilization, top to bottom. But um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but apparently the Morlocks they operate some strange, uh, unknowable machinery down there in the caves that keep things yeah. moving. But none of them talk. Um, the the Morlocks their their weakness is they can't deal with fire or bright light. They have grown so accustomed to yeah. living in this uh, cave system that even even the, a match strike will will send them screaming and running. And they're all pale and. And fetid and grotesque And unlike the Grimlocks That we're going to get to um, They're kind of like small And individually Other than being totally like grotesque They're not incredibly intimidating In, uh, In The Time Machine He says But I had scarce entered this when my light was blown out and in the blackness I could hear the Morlocks rustling like wind among leaves, and pattering like the rain as they hurried after me. In a moment I was clutched by several hands and there was no mistaking that they were trying to haul me back. I struck another light and waved it in their dazzled faces. You can scarce imagine how nauseatingly inhuman they looked, those pale chinless faces and great lidless pinkish gray eyes as they stared in their blindness and bewilderment but i did not stay to look i promise you i retreated again and then in another section the eloi like the carolingian kings had decayed to a mere beautiful futility they still possessed (laughs) the earth on sufferance since the morlocks subterranean for innumerable generations had come at last to find the daylit surface intolerable. And the (laughs) Morlocks made their garments, I inferred, and maintained them in their habitual needs, perhaps through the service of an old habit of service. They did it as a standing horse paws with his foot, or as a man enjoys killing animals in sport, because ancient and departed necessities had impressed it upon the organism." The nemesis of the Delicate Ones was creeping on apace. Ages ago, thousands of generations ago, man had thrust his brother-man out of the ease and the sunshine. And now that brother was coming back changed. Already the Eloi had begun to learn one old lesson anew. They were becoming reacquainted with fear, and suddenly There came into my head the memory of the meat I had seen in the Underworld. Another passage reads, I tried to look at the thing in a scientific spirit. After all, they were less human and more remote than our cannibal ancestors of three or four thousand years ago. And the intelligence that would have made this state of things a torment had gone. Why should I trouble myself? These Eloi were mere fatted cattle which the ant-like Morlocks preserved and preyed upon and probably saw to the breeding of. Um, And then the (laughs) last one is... And I determined to build a fire and encamp where we were. I put Weena, still motionless, down upon a turfy bowl. And very hastily, as my first lump of camphor waned, I began collecting sticks and leaves. Here and there, out of the darkness round me, the Morlocks' eyes shone like carbuncles. I... (laughs) Shown like carbuncle seems like a reference it wouldn't occur to me to make, but anyway. Shown that, like carbuncle. That's a carbuncle. really
1: good one. I'm Her eyes shown it. like it's carbuncle. It's shown like a carbuncle, mm. festering in the corner. Uh
0: huh. So <laughs> but, um, those are my those are my uh, I think probably the the best quotes there from uh from the H. G. Wells book regard re- specifically regarding the Morlocks, but the point yeah. is um. back in... I want to get this right. If you go to 1D4chan, um, it explains the the origin of the transference of the Grimlocks, uh, or rather, of the Morlocks into the Grimlocks of Dungeons & Dragons. So (laughs) Grimlocks are one of the lesser races, and this is from 1D4chan, this is not me editorializing, it says... Grimlocks are one of the lesser races that live down in the depths of the Underdark and Dungeons & Dragons. Born in 1981, they are amongst the sizable number of fan-submitted monsters that originally appeared in White Dwarf, back when that magazine covered D&D 1E, as as well as other RPGs instead of just Games Workshop Creations. Instead of just Games Workshop Creations. They then went on to appear in the Fiend Folio, which um, <laughs> I will come up a lot in our show, which is one of the early compendiums of additional monsters when it became an ongoing concern and business for D&D to, to just... Start making, um, start making accessory books of just more monsters. It, it, yeah. it became, it quickly got to be practically necessary, and then also an engine of cash flow. Yeah. So, um, again, back to War uh, to One D Four Chan. It says Grimlocks are a shameless ripoff of the Morlocks from H. G. E. Wells' novel, The Time Machine, which makes them savage, blind, pale hued, pale hued, cannibalistic cavemen that dwell deep in the darkness below the earth. Totally blind to the point that their eyes were removed from the entirety in third edition onward. Mm -hmm. Grimlocks depend on their super keen senses of touch, sense, uh, touch, scent, and hearing to get around, and they're pretty damn good at it. They're even protected against gaze attacks and most illusions, depending on the editions. Um, So, uh, grimlocks. End up being one of the pantheon of freaky underdark dwellers. Um, they have a bad reputation against with the drow because the drow will enslave them, or war with them, or you know use them for cheap labor, all this kind of stuff. They hate the drow, but they're all all these assholes are stuck in the underdark and um, <laughs> killing each other and eating each other. They're all terrible. Yeah, it's
1: so a bad place to be.
0: Yes, not you know, underdark sucks. And that one. It's a it's a rough hewn black and white image that clearly you can see the connection to H. Yeah. G. Wells' depiction of the Morlocks. They're kinda of wearing these rough, tattered clothes. Yeah. They're are very because ma- There's a lot of them. Yeah, they kinda of look yeah, there's a there's a big pile of them with axes and swords and things and they've got these just like rough like Simpson character screaming mouths with kind of like rough hewn teeth in them it's got yeah. it's got it's got kind of a like 15 year old in the 70s like sketchbook quality to it but it is <laughs> yeah. it's 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 kind of nice and one of the things I like about this as opposed to um honestly I, I, I'm, i'll I'll show you my hand I don't like the direction that the editions take the Grimlock in I think I think it peaks aesthetically. At second edition, if you look at the second edition yeah, image, but definitely. this is a, this is also my bias because I we were sef- second edition kids. Um, yeah. But the second edition, it, it goes from instead of them depicting a whole crowd of them, this one, this one stark color image of this weird gray, almost goblinoid maniac with this bizarre yeah. point pointed axe, and he looks like he maniacal and he has intent Um, and whether or not that he he's basically shaped like a He-Man figurine. I don't know if that that adds to my bias or not, but he's got like a a fucked up green tunic and He-Man boots, but he he looks and he's got, they still, he's still got eyes, um, but they are bone white eyes. eyes. Yeah. He's got bone white eyes. Yeah. And I I kind of like the having the eyes, but them being strange and alien as opposed to the no eyes look. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. The, I've just I, maybe it's maybe it's nostalgia. I'm just attached to this this version with the wild hair and the bald forehead, and that he just looks like you don't want to deal with it. But um, yeah. when you when you look at editions uh, in the monstrous manual of how they depict this creature, because. It used to be that they would say like they would give you a specific um, like number of how many you were likely to encounter, and in in the early editions it would be like five to twenty more locks yeah. was like how many you would encounter. And that is not at all generally how they're depicted in later editions. They tend to be smaller numbers. They're depicted as being like one lonely thing wandering around. Yeah, um, and they're huge. Yeah, they're, they're big, grotesque monsters with the ability to see in the dark. They have blindsight. They're neutral evil. They're challenge rating one quarter. They're not massively beefy in terms of like hit points and everything, but if you give blindsight and you put them in a dark situation, they're, they eat people, I mean, they eat humanoids, but they're not humans. Biology, in, the, in this section on the Forgotten Realms wiki, it says, over the course of living within the Underdark for centuries, Grimlocks gradually lost the use of sight and became vulnerable to light. To compensate for this, they developed an acute sense of smell and echolocation. Grimlocks were known to be very blunt and suspicious of other creatures. Those who wandered away from their kin often experienced culture shock, but felt some sense of gratification at how strange things were. These wanderers were also uh, known to be capable of overcoming their xenophobic leanings, viewing each individual they meet as a potential pack member, though this mindset needed to be reinforced through daily meditation. Though Grimlocks were prone to evil acts, their intent was rarely malicious. Rather, their behavior was rooted in a deep sense of self-preservation and struggle for survival. So, um, instead of being lone, maniacal, kind of ogre characters that are are lonely savages meandering the Underdark looking for meals... There is it is really like a society of creatures who have a civilization. It's just an extremely primitive civilization. They don't, yeah, you know, they basically make axes and and weapons and these shitty tunics. Apparently, for some reason, why bother? I really, but um, <laughs> but um, they they they're carnivores. It's you know, it says they die from from feasting upon the flesh of their decimated enemies. Um, or, you know, it says they get decimated because they just eat all this raw flesh where I'm like, well, if you were evolving into another creature, you'd probably, like, have a new gullet and get used to viruses and bacteria, but whatever. Um, but but the point is that they're kind of this um, uncanny valley, post-human or, or, you know, devolved human. It's kind of... The, uh, a lesson on what you become if you become if you go in the wrong direction after being a human being or a humanoid. You, you, you it's a it's a metahumanity gone in the wrong in the wrong way. So, and it specifically says under history. Some sources claim that the Grimlocks were the descendants of humans of the Uthgart ancestry from the Golden Eagle and Red Pony tribes, yada, 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 which is like old human barbarian stuff. This looks like, nah. yeah, it says, um, but I, I like, I like how they specifically contradict themselves where they say Grimlocks exclusively eat the meat of humanoids, but then they say like, yeah, yeah but... Um, they get really mad when the drow destroy their mushroom fields and, and force them to go hunting for <laughs> other food I'm like well do they fucking eat mushrooms yeah. or do they not like do they their only later eat editions meat that they kill the yeah I mean that's fine just get some <laughs> damn consistency D&D um, I mean we're probably the, nah we're probably not the only people picking this apart because we are not the nerdiest people talking no.
1: about this but, no, there's um, a lot of people that don't like the new editions
0: and then, but um, in, in one of the middle editions, uh, of course, Grimlocks are um, human enough that, of course, there are expansions that um, port them out as a PC race. So you yeah. know, back, in, back in the middle editions when it was super, super crunchy, you had this race that uh, operated on blind sight but got these advantages to non-vision based activities and yeah. um and that's really cool it's a weird looking character and you know very strong strong constitution not as smart not as charming you know it's it's kind of a it's kind of a bruiser kind of pc uh pc race during that period in the the uber crunch uh section of the dnd editions <laughs> yeah. um but now that we're back in Five E, I don't I don't think somebody write in if you know any. I don't, I'm almost positive that there are no official ways to play a PC in Five E. But if anybody sees any um, cool homebrews that you feel are like fair and not op, I'd like to see that because I I gave when I ran um, I'm well, it's technically it's not over when I'm I'm running a villainous uh, a baddies dungeon world with. Um, some of my California people that I play with online and one of the races that I gave them as an option. The first one I wrote down was Grimlock because <laughs> I've just always liked it. I just, I, it just feels like just human enough, but like also very alien, but also it's not like a, uh, slathering, gibbering, demonic knoll where you're like, would have a hard time getting a handle on the roleplay aspect. Uh, you know, it feels it feels plausible. You like you, you somebody found a gnome Grimlock and raised it, or some weird circumstance happened where it becomes a mercenary, or you know who knows. Yeah. Um, but I could imagine Grimlocks joining bands of like miscellaneous baddies to go, you know, anti-adventure or whatever. You know, like adventuring from from the bad guys' side.
1: Oh, and, uh, the elithid. <laughs> Like give them the bodies uh, of the people that they suck the minds out of. They give the bodies to Grimlock.
0: Yes, sometimes. absolutely. It covers that. It covers that. Um, covers that in this that there is a, yeah. a natural symbiotic relationship where <laughs> yeah. they're cannibals or you know, they're humanoid eaters. I guess cannibal may, I, may, is not really the right term.
1: I kind of want to point out that the. Uh, Guy Pierce time machine movie kind of ripped that off since Jeremy Irons is pretty much a mind flayer.
0: Like <laughs> uh, very interesting. I'm going to yeah. you know, I don't know if I've seen the Guy Pierce one. I've seen I've seen the original 1961 that I saw way way long time ago. Oh, well then
1: let me well then let me tell you about this. Okay. Guy Pierce is the time machine man. And he does <laughs> uh-huh. all the time machine. Uh, he does all the time machine adventures, except in this one they blow up the moon by accident, and that's what forces uh, people underground. And
0: um, okay, uh-huh. so
1: and the Eloi are not entirely illiterate and stupid. They're like they're kind of just like a tribal society, but they're all they're all still kind of dopey. And the reason huh. that they're dopey is because the leader of the Morlocks is a psychic being that keeps them stupid with mind powers who is yeah. jeremy irons who's just like a giant oliphid controlling all these grimlocks
0: wow <laughs> yeah. well we cracked that nut that's nice okay <laughs> yeah. cool um that's fascinating have you ever seen the 1979 um it, it's not it's it technically counts as a, a, a a version of time machine. It's called time after time. Um, um, no. <laughs> time, after th- Not yeah. It's not. It's not a Cindy Lauper vehicle. <laughs> I'm obliged to take you back to face the consequences of your acts. You gotta serious. So Victorian. It's a science fiction movie that is kind of... I don't know. I guess it would have a Venn diagram with the H.G. Wells time machine, but it is it is using that trope and that character to tell a different story. Anyway, it's a it's an American metro-color science fiction film. This is me reading from the wiki. Directed by screenwriter uh, Nicholas Mayer and starring Malcolm McDowell, David Warner, and Mary Steenburgen. Um, so... It's uh, it's based off of the premise from Alexander's novel Time After Time, and a story by Alexander and Steve Hayes. The film presents a story in which the British author H. G. Wells uses his time time machine to pursue Jack the Ripper into the nineteenth, in, in, uh, sorry, into the twentieth century. Now you might be saying, I heard Malcolm McDowell's name in there, um, <laughs> and he's obviously going to be playing Jack the Ripper, right? No, wrong. He plays the H. G. <laughs> Wells. Um, A scientist, time traveler guy. He plays the nerdy button-down guy, and he's chasing after um, the Jack the Ripper character, who's played by David Warner. And for those of those nerds of our age and slightly older, David Warner is the is the um, the big heavy bad guy in the original Tron. You know what I mean? The guy in like the the Ram Man head, who's like trying to track down the 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 rogue softwares, Um, rogue users. Yeah, yeah. David, David Warner, big heavy actor back in that period, um, very British film, now they're like in America and there's all these gags with the H.G. Wells character um, running around trying to manage being in 1970s America, which is, you know, <laughs> and, and played by Malcolm McDowell, it's pretty, pretty damn funny actually. Yeah. So, um, so if you haven't seen Time After Time, 1979, I, I highly recommend it. But Jack Jack the Ripper versus H.G. Wells, which is, you know, something. Um, yeah. And starring Malcolm McDowell as the nerdy good guy, which is, you know, something different. Um, but yeah. uh, anyway, there's so there's that tangent. You should watch that. It's hilarious. And with, uh, you know, of course, like th- completely unnecessary 1970s segments of like random domesticity with female characters that has no point whatsoever. Cause that's what mm-hmm. you did in movies in the seventies. Cause you had to waste an extra 20 minutes of something. Mm-hmm. But, so back to Grimlocks to me, they're, they're fascinating because they, uh, uh, instead of ha- at first glance, looking at them kind of as kind of like a, a weak ogre meandering in the underdark, um, you know, they're a monster with a civilization, with a society with norms, and they've been around for a long time, and they're an original one e monster. Um, and you yeah. know, they and actually a a use a, a, a an audience-submitted monster. It was not a writer for D and D that introduced them. It was it was submitted through one of the gaming platforms or the magazine, and uh, TSR took it and said, "All right, cool. Um, we <laughs> like it. We get that it's a Morlocks ripoff, but H. G. Wells is." Um, is if you're gonna rip off from somebody, HG Wells is great, cool. Put a stamp on it. It's a and D monster now, and it's been with us in every edition ever since. Um, and then through the subsequent years, it changes, uh, as you can see uh, in the as you can see in the wiki, um, into different iterations. Where we there's our our scary second edition guy, and then you get into Third edition, and third edition starts to flatten out um, the traits that we uh, are now seeing consistently in the editions of Eyeless, uh, a lot more savage and bloated and strange and kind of alien. Um, but you know, it's got some of the overlap, actually, honestly, with the first edition, um, and then. Uh, fourth edition, at least aesthetically, we really hit where we are kind of now. Big, eyeless ogre-looking, wielding uh, like a cheap bone axe, and then pretty, pretty much basically no difference. Um, once you get to fifth edition, it just looks like kind of a looks kind of like a shitty ogre. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Grimlock has you know, m- maintained throughout all of the various editions, which I think, um, you know, I, I would like to see the numbers on what monsters have come through all five editions of D&D, because I, I, I doubt it's that many. And I think because it's, uh, because it's, it's fairly, um, it's fairly captivating. There's something about a de-evolved, um, broken version of humanity that is um, compelling to us that you can you could go off and devolve and forget most language and and for, forget how to wear clothes and forget how to do all these things and become like a, a flesh-rending bone monster thing and, uh, and you'd just officially be something else and that um, that nugget, and I guess we're accidentally doing the "what job does this monster do" segment right here, but the, yeah. but that central nut or nugget, um, that kernel at the center of that concept, is what is definitely shared by the, the Grimlock and then the original H. G. Wells concept of the Morlock, is that well, we you could we could devolve into some awful, uncanny valley version of ourselves, and what would we be? Um, and in One Direction, you've got the Eloi that are useless and pathetic and and whatnot, but the Morlocks become savage and terrible and cannibalistic. And there's something viscerally powerful about that concept, or it feels like it has some kind of truth in it, I think. Uh, and so I think their job is to kind of like hold a a funhouse mirror up to ourselves and be like you could become this one yeah. day The boy. real I mean, monster
1: is us. That yeah. I haven't I haven't been saying that enough
0: for the uh, Yeah. I try to say that 7 times every morning before 7
1: I, uh, times every morning before uh, even doing this show.
0: Uh, is, the real monster is us. The real the monster, monster, the real monster it, it
1: turns us. out is us.
0: Yeah, before I before I clean and polish my revolver. Yeah, I'm yeah. Always like the real monster is us the real monster is us yeah I just I find it very compelling I, re- I really want to play one in something because uh, <laughs> as, as soon as I cracked that second edition monstrous manual and I, I saw the Grimlock in, under the G section I thought that's just really interesting and it kind of feels like a PC race to me it feels like one of the nastier PC races and like it's not it's not that far off. I mean, I, honestly, I think a tabaxi or a bird person is freaking stranger than a grimlock. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. This thing 100%. doesn't fly or climb walls <laughs> like a cat. You know, I mean, it's just Ooh. a it's just a messed up blind person with with blind sight. Yeah,
1: the old um, picture from uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons kind of looks like
0: the art from an action figure too. Like. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it looks like it would be you on can the, attain. And like it looks play like with. it looks like it would fit in that box in the back of the original GI Joes. Yeah. You're like Dave, Dave Grimlock um, yeah, yeah. spends spends his time when he's not fighting Cobra like eating raw chickens, and you know, like yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. It says about the inception or the invention of the uh, Grimlock monster. Uh, according to uh, Dungeonsanddragons.fandom.com In the late 70s, the British magazine White Dwarf began collecting submissions for proposed monsters from its readers. Many of these were gathered up and published as TSR's Fiend Folio in 1981. One of the new monsters was the Grimlock created by Albie Fiore, a staff editor at White Dwarf and one of the book's illustrators. It was clearly based on H.G. Wells' Morlock. Quote-unquote, fierce, Subterranean humanoid warriors. And then uh, also the illustration, it says, presumably by Fiore, shows a group of snarling muscular humanoids that resemble long-haired Neanderthals with shark-like teeth. So if anybody can confirm or deny for us, uh, hit us up. Whether the the illustration is indeed by Fiore or whether that's by somebody else, because I don't want to misattribute that, uh, you know. When particularly when we really like an illustration and it it speaks to us and it's something that I that we saw when we were fourteen or whatever, and, yeah. and it and it said like, man, I really I like that. I want to I want to give people credit because I it's 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 not the most dirty illustration or or nasty illustration. It's just it's just powerful. Um. Anyway. So, uh, probably Fiore. If we are, if we got, we got that wrong. Let us know. We should do. What does this boy sound like? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so welcome to. What does this boy sound like? One of the things that's idiosyncratic about this the second edition Grimlock uh, illustration is he's got like one pirate earring in his right ear.
1: Yeah, I've that? I've it's always gonna... wondered about that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, he's got he's got bracers on. That seems like. Whatever, it's kind of practical. Yeah. Um, the one earring is just, like, very out of place. Like, is that vestigial, or is, like, that, you know... I
1: don't, I don't know. know. I, it Maybe it's... Maybe they take treasure sometimes, or maybe a chieftain or a leader will have a treasure.
0: Yeah, it's kind of... It seems like a scrounging thing, because it, yeah. it seems like they definitely... They, they definitely seem to lay out these people are not doing metallurgy they're not blacksmithing yeah. they're like making weird rock and bone bone weapons you know they never have armor they're just wearing torn up rags yeah. in fact this guy has like proper like leather he-man boots Is like seems like even a stretch <laughs> but um I'm trying to get a picture of what this guy's thinking and he's like I don't mean he's like Man, how long do I have to pose for this van painting? Because <laughs> um, I've I'm, I'm imagined he's like standing there, like while a guy is painting a van, like looking at him. <laughs> like yeah. you couldn't just take it. You just couldn't just take a photo of him and then like paint the van. He's like, no, you yeah. stand here yeah. while I paint. Paint what your, your likeness. Uh, from real life on on my on my Dodge Caravan,
1: <laughs> I think he's saying they call me Grimlock because I got a grim outlook on life.
0: <laughs>
1: That's locked in.
0: If you like, hold your fingers. And like block out his hair. (laughs) I'm suddenly seeing how much he exactly looks like the leprechaun from Leprechaun.
1: He does look like the leprechaun. He looks like a
0: gray version of the leprechaun from Leprechaun, played by famous little person actor uh, Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis. Me? Hey. Played by by beloved English small person character
2: actor. A friend with weed is a friend indeed. <laughs> is you
0: are great. <laughs> it's a Daikini baby. You I are do.
1: great. You need a warrior for a job like this. I'm a nobody.
0: I do not have a I do not have a prepared Warwick Davis. <laughs> I have a I have a bunch of Warwick Davis quotes, apparently, but I do not have a Black Root? You can't give a baby Black Root. Okay, well, one of us did. One <laughs> of us did, okay. Um, so, you know, Warwick Davis, if you're still working when they make a, a, no, another D&D movie, I, I would pitch you as uh, wearing the animatronic Grimlock suit, because whatever <laughs> they're doing to put that leprechaun face on you, it looks exactly like this character. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also kind of looks like, he also kind of looks like a roadie. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's giving me that vibe. Like if, like, if you just replace that weird chipped axe with a with like a bass guitar, yeah. or a mic stand,
1: yeah, then he's, he's like, he's a member of a band of orcs. Like, like
0: ah, way do you get a load <laughs> of this? A band, a band of orcs.
2: That yeah, that's that's a plus. real
1: metal band.
0: Really? Yeah, guess what, what they sing band? about. <laughs> Uh, libertarianism
1: <laughs> it's all a bunch of middle earth uh, war anthems but like for orcs
0: mm, is it good it's I, metal <laughs> uh, I, yeah I'll, okay so band of orcs our hot take is that you are definitely a metal band yeah um cool 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 I'll have to check out a band of orcs that's um it yeah. that doesn't it doesn't sound boring I am I am an, I am oddly How'd I describe it? Fussy about metal. I'm not into like I'm into all metal genres in theory, and ten metal bands in practice. Like I, you know, the, yeah. the, the stuff the stuff that really gets me is like um, Judas Priest. Um, and, the, uh, it's it's
1: vague as to it, the second edition of D and D who drew what because they don't put the signature name next to the picture ever. I'm on that stuff. Um, there is, I guess that the Dungeons and Dragons monster Grimlock is not to be confused with the leader of the Dinobots, Grimlock.
0: Nope, don't worry, I was aware, because you cannot search for Grimlocks without yep. mostly getting hits for the, for the goddamn for for Dinobot. Dinobot Grimlock Smash. Because the because the because the Dinobot is much more profitable of an entity. Yeah, it's got magic it's, cards. Um, it's got to It's got toys you can yep. buy. He's in movies. He's in TV he's in TV shows. Yeah, not to be confused with the leader of the Dinobots, uh, the very hilarious <laughs> yeah, and erudite, the Area uh, Grimlock, Grimlock. Um, who, <sighs> yes, all I mean, these he does have a magic cards. That we all rem- that we all remember, yeah. Are you looking at it as the yeah. weird jacked up holographic thing? Um, it's a it's if you look at it, it's got the the h the Hasbro h. It's like a novelty special edition for yeah. this one convention card. So like you would not be able to play it ever in any real context. Nor would you ever have. The ability to cast with one white, one green, one so red, it, and one red So it
1: turns into mana. another card. The The Ferocious King is now 8-8 eight, eight instead of 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. Oh. You fabulous. could have just said plus 4 um, plus 4.
0: <laughs> and in... I, well, I'm sure... Yeah, but they then you wouldn't sell more cards. Then, then we'd have to make more you cards. You'd really get those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah Yep. And, um... The, the flavor text is, quote, me, Grimlock, no like yeah. you, um, which has always been yeah. the hilarious way that they, um, in addition <laughs> to being robots, uh, disambiguated the Dinobots from the Autobots and the Decepticons is the Dinobots are... Yeah. Stupid, but very strong. Despite
1: his strength and um, prowess, Grimlock. So, yeah. yeah,
0: that's Grimlock. Spelled exactly the same way, which has always annoyed me, but clearly they just jacked it from d d We're like, what are we going to call the leader of this dino Grimlock. robot thing? I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> just pick something. Okay. Grimlock is also a pretty <laughs> um, cool thing I'll, to I'll say. It... Like, Grimlock. It's, it's, a, it's a strong yeah. name for a thing. Um... In fifth edition, it's neutral evil. It's a one-quarter challenge rating. It's got blindsight, homelands in the Underdark. They speak Grimlock. Apparently, it's his own damn language. Common, Terran, Undercommon, Dwarven, Gnome, Draconic. Uh, their terrain is underground. Average height five five or so. Hundred eighty pounds. Gray skin. First appears *Fiend in first edition. And it even canonically says, based on HG Wells's ah. uh, *The Morlocks and the Time Machine*. So, so mechanically, um, you know, it's not it's not like it's not hitting you with all sorts of crazy stuff. But um, you know, you put it in, you put it in a dark scenario where the characters have limited access to vision, or you put in some dark spells from a, a lich or an illithid or something, and whammo, blammo. Um, these guys, particularly if they show up in a group of 15 or 20 of them like I depicted in my kind of like um, <laughs> like narrative walk-in, the beginning of the concept uh, yeah. it would be absolutely terrifying um, you need a wire for a job like this <laughs> Now that we've escaped our first menace, dear readers, we invite you into the apothecary, that den of rare and obscure balms, salves, powders, and oils derived from the exotic serpents, clattering critters, and acrid arachnids, where we do our most shadowy machinations. Our friend Jeremy keeps dying in the dark, putrid dungeons one player character after the next, like moths to the flame. Whether it's crushed by a cyclops, didn't get his mage armor up in time, or was incinerated by his own divine light, Jeremy finds a way for his piss wizard to perish in the first round of combat. So here we are to ask you to open your coin purses, help pitch in just a bit to defray the massive cost of all these dang healing potions we need to keep Jeremy crawling through the dungeons. If you want to support the show on an ongoing basis, you can check us out at patreon.com slash oopsallmonsters. That's oops with two O's or you can make a one-time contribution to the Apothecary's Health Potions for Jeremy Fund, which, at most levels, will get you a shout-out at the top of the show, if you're into that. If you're not, we can give you a sweet and scary pseudonym to keep your dark business under wraps. So, you can toss a coin to us at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Again, that's paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters, and in every case... Oopses with two O's and no punctuation, just like Tiamat intended.
2: Hi there. My name is Douglas Rassensberger, and I'm a CEO and founder of Douglas's Cutlasses. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? You've just gotten home from a long day of spur and growth at your small but thriving business. You're just trying to slice some quality deli meats and cheeses for a relaxing snack and suddenly there's a mysterious intruder rummaging through your garbage outside. What's a domestic disruptor to do when you get in a pickle like this? Pull out your handy-dandy, short-handled, half-guarded naval sword, that's what. Here at Douglas & we've got every possible colors for every conceivable scenario. Are you an aspiring or current CEO of a Fortune 500 company? I've got a color for that. A middle school teacher struggling to maintain discipline in the classroom? I've got a colors for that looking to add a little flair to drab dinner parties? I've got a cutlass for that. Some people say to me, but Douglas, I'm not a pirate, privateer, or sailor. What do I need with a battle-quality 27-inch half-guard naval sword? I'm so glad you asked. Here at Douglas's Cutlasses, our research shows that the vast majority of conflicts, both business and personal, can be positively affected by the introduction of a modest, well-crafted naval sword. So let's get swashbuckling, no matter what's your problem. An easy-to-wield iron-forged cutlass is probably the solution. So once again, I'm Douglas Murr of Douglas's Cutlasses. Come get stabbed with me. Please go to paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters and make a payment there. And that's oops with two O's. Again, that link is paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters.
0: Okay, well I, have to, I will say it beforehand. I have literally no, not even the slightest clue of what you're bringing. So I, I'm, I'm
1: excited. Alrighty. Um, well then, okay. On that note, then just imagine that you're sailing again. Um, try to imagine that you're sailing again um, on your fishing trawler again because of last time the fog. And you got over the mm-hmm. fog, the fog is fine. But you're, uh, you're fishing on your fishing trawler, your nets are all empty. Uh, something must have eaten all the fish which is a shame because your wife left you for not being a very good fisherman and so as you confirm in your head all of your lonely suspicions about being a loser you hear a wonderful sound in the laughter of a young woman and peering down at the coastal sea past the sparkling moonlit mercurial hills that bob your vantage up and down you see her a beautiful woman swimming in the water covered only by two seashells oops it's all mermaids.
0: Oh, I was gonna—I was gonna guess <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Is it Jamie Lee Curtis? Um, um, oops! All oops! All mermaids. Oops! Huh? All mermaids. mermaids. All, oops! All mermaids. Okay. Um, mermaids. Hit me with it, I'm I'm, he- I'm. I'm. here for it.
1: Yeah, mermaids are said to have come from Syria around 1000 BC when the when the goddess hmm. uh, Artigatis. Uh, wanted to transform into a fish. So she jumped into a lake, but she was too pretty, and the other gods stopped her from transforming from mid-fishification. So, since her legs were still in the water, that part was successfully downloaded. And Atargaddis... I think it's Atargaddis
0: is the first mermaid, uh... It's too bad you don't have the, like, Wikipedia lady there to say it for you. (laughs) Yeah. At her...
2: At her... At at her her goddess. At her
0: goddess.
1: The concept
0: of mermaids in the
1: West comes from, like, the the Greek myth of the sirens. And, um, like we said from the fog thing, uh, human culture used to be largely influenced by nautical travelers and their sharing of folklore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so somewhere in there you get, um sailors from Portugal mixing with sailors from Syria mixing from sailors from the Mediterranean and you get mermaids a lot of the greek myth for the sirens was that they would lure you to the island and then um either they'd eat you or kill you or sacrifice you there's a lot of a lot of different results there but it was all bad
0: yeah so let me let me clear up are they uh, like I, I g- the origin part I got, but in their origin, are they are they monstrous, right at the beginning, or are they just kind of strange?
1: Adargadis at- was mean. I think she was mean, and she was angry n- about not being able be being able to be turned into a fish. So she started like killing sailors. Like the way that the way that the sailors would describe mermaids also is that. Um, for the majority of like the 1700s and 1600s was that they didn't like eat you or kill you in any vicious way but they would just trick you into going into the water and drowning
0: yeah it seems like I mean don't let me step on something if you've got it here nah. but it seems as almo- almost as if like they're kind of a metaphor for the danger of the sea itself yeah
1: they had to make a monster to represent how lonely and terrible it is to be a sailor and they did that a lot. One of them was the mermaid. Uh, the most famous mermaid is the is the fish woman um, Ariel. In Anderson's work, the mermaid still saves a prince um, f- from a wreck after she gets to go up and see the world uh, whenever she's like a teenager or something whatever coming of age mermaids would have at mm-hmm. that time. So she goes yeah, and yeah, yeah. sees a shipwreck prince and saves him. Um, in Anderson's work, mermaids don't have souls, and, um, the little mermaid is upset about not having a soul, so she, uh, saves the prince and falls in love with the prince, and then a sea witch says, you can become human, and if you win the heart of the prince, you can have a soul. Um, but what you have to do for that, the trade-off for that is you have to drink a potion that will give you stabbing pain constantly. (laughs) Especially in your new feet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. And, lovely. And you have to win the heart of the prince while you're a human, or else you're going to be stuck as a soulless human. And um, the sea witch doesn't tell her that whenever she turns into a human, she's also mute, so she can't win the prince over. Oh, uh, yeah, right. She can't tell the prince. I did, I, yeah. yeah.
0: I was curious whether that was just Disney or that was that was original. No,
1: that's from Hans's
0: Hans's book, mm-hmm. and um.
1: She can't tell him that she's the one that saved him. The prince ends up marrying a princess from a neighboring kingdom. And it's looking grim for the little mermaid. And then her sisters come back up uh, and visit her at a beach or something and gives her a knife that uh, that the sea witch made. And said, if you stab the prince and the princess with this knife and then smear the blood on your feet, you'll become a mermaid again. And you won't have to worry about dying a soulless human.
0: And so she... (laughs) Yep, seems pretty straight up. You know, old-timey god stuff, not confusing or upsetting at all. Yeah.
1: So she goes to kill the prince, and then she can't, because she's a good person. And um, she dissolves into a foamy nothingness. Um, Oh, man. Yeah. And that was how the book was originally supposed to end. But Hans Christian Andersen didn't want it to end that way, so he decided that since she didn't kill the prince, her act of like selflessness to like not exist uh, martyred her into a thing called the daughter of the air, which is uh, a being that needs to spend 300 years doing good deeds for humans, and after that they can they can have a chance to get a soul. <laughs> Which is still Shi. There was a bunch of debate in the Victorian era, like because of their Victorian sensibilities, if like this was a positive moral message or not. Because people used to be nuts like that, and of course there is yeah. because you know don't murder people when you're cursed. Like you you break your yeah, curse yeah. by being nice. That's like rule one of fiction. Um, but there's tons of mermaids in pop culture. There's a whole fishing trawler full of movies. Uh, They used to be in video games, like, a lot. But there is a specific game. uh, It was in 1986 called Mermaid Madness. And... (laughs) 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 I know, it's great. But um, Mermaid Madness had you uh, play a video game... Uh, it played like Tetris music since that was all public domain like all the songs from Tetris are in it um, you play a mermaid who falls in love with a diver on a boat and then the diver gets stuck in a cave and you have to okay. rescue him by finding things and a greater part of this is that the mermaid is fat <laughs> she's she's obviously this this obese woman who's in love with this diver and it's uh, unsure whether or not if the diver wants to be with her. <laughs> and then there was uh, P-, P. T. Barnum's Fiji mermaid, which uh, wasn't exactly
0: yeah
1: yeah wasn't exactly a monster. Well, I guess it was yeah,
0: given them the old Fiji mermaid. That is not the first time in the last week that that episode that freaks episode of X Files has come up. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was pieces of. Uh, definitely some kind of monkey and then maybe or maybe not an actual fish I don't know but a monkey and some some nonsense
1: yeah a monkey and some nonsense which is a great way to like make a freak show is to just make a prop mm. and yeah. say what it is because like um, you're going to get a bunch of disappointed people but disappointed people who will stop and look at it
0: yeah and you and don't have lethal. to like feed it or pay it Yeah. You just put it in a box and set it up every time.
1: I went to a freak show uh, that said it had a mermaid. And um, I swear to God. I went into this um, curtained room. It was a tarp, actually. Like, they just lifted up the tarp, and I went in there, and it was just a stripper in a kiddie pool. (laughs) And, like... (laughs) That was the that was the Why did I think it was
0: going to be something else? I don't yeah, I know. I don't I know. know. I, I had, my brain could not process what punchline that was going to be fast enough. I was like, well, I mean, my brain was obviously like, well, it's just like a prostitution gag, right? And I'm like, no, 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 it's going
1: to yes. be something else to it. <laughs> but go on. Yes, it was. But she, she would take her top off if you put money in the kiddie pool.
2: Wait
0: a second Wait a second Where was this quote unquote Freak show Nitro West Virginia Where? <laughs> yes it was part of a carnival really? Like a
1: traveling carnival And um, yeah that's how responsible The carnies were They let like a 14 year old kid uh-huh. Behind the harp To see the mermaid who was a stripper Who would just take She didn't have like a fishtail on or anything she was just in a kiddie pool in a bikini, and she would take the bikini top off if you gave her money. That was the mermaid.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's something to the phrase "stripper in a kiddie pool" that is uh, yeah. very, sp- very special.
1: mermaids, I think, represent a lot of the desperate loneliness that sailors must have since there are not any women allowed on boats uh, traditionally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, if that makes you so sad and desperate that you walk into the water because you think you see a mermaid, then... That's some kind of then you've you've got some serious ass mermaid problems.
0: <laughs> you know what kind of mermaid problems I've been having. Um, you know what,
1: you know what kind of succumbing to loneliness on a ship full of men problems
0: I've been having. <laughs> you you know what kind of just slowly meandering into the ocean problems I've been having. Yeah, <laughs> but and, <laughs> yeah, no, I. well Before I forget it, that. If you, your hypothesis of that, what it's of that being what it's about, it's about the uh, the literalization of the the sadness and loneliness of of being uh, in the navy or being a sailor of any kind, is yeah. um, without spoiling it, is absolutely um, depicted in. In the Lighthouse movie, so yeah, I, oh, I think okay. <laughs> ch- check it out because it is like it, it's it would be hard to more specifically put a, a a point on that exact thought, but um yeah no I think your hypothesis Ooh, is yeah. dead on there.
1: So for good mermaid movies, we've got The Little Mermaid, Splash, in the Lighthouse.
0: Yeah. I mean, all right. that's a damn cool. strong triangle, if you ask me.
2: After all these years, the daughter of my old enemy, Man-at-Arms, has finally fallen into my hands.
0: Yeah, there,
1: uh, there was a, a River Monsters episode that I watched while researching mermaids. Jeremy Wade uh, went to Guyana to try and um, investigate this missing persons case. Which is really kind of, which is really kind of like a, a bizarre farce that happened because you could tell that the producers were just tormenting the hell out of these locals, <laughs> like trying to yeah. get this woman to talk about her missing husband and like convince her to make it seem like she believed in mermaids.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, you think? Uh, yeah, I I tend to like that show. That guy seems seems. Yeah. All right. it seems they. I think they make it a little bit too. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a little heavy handed in how like mystical of a like a journey or a character that he kind of like comes off as, but in general I tend I tend yeah, to like. Yeah, but
3: it. it's
1: it's also one of the rare shows that has that tone, but that actually has monsters in it. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, some episodes, yeah, some episodes of Monster Hunter, they'll find spiders like the size of your hand, and then and then these cryptozoologist dipshits get disappointed because it's not the size of a Volkswagen. It's like <laughs> I, it's still as big as your hand. It's, that's yeah. that's a monster.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean i I mean i w- I kept watching River Monsters because he would find some really like surprising, epic shit. Honestly, like uh, un, un, un unlike yeah, he, the night vision goggle douchebags that are wandering around old Pennsylvania asylums, like he actually finds something that'll like eat your fucking leg off.
1: Yeah, yeah, he does. And uh that's why I watched the show. It's it was uh pretty uh, this episode though had a different tone to it. Like you could tell that people were convincing these people to say stupid garbage that they didn't believe. Because yeah, okay. they kept saying like mermaid in English.
0: <laughs> huh. Yeah, okay. But what was the so what's but, the what's um, the deal with that? What happened in that episode?
1: Um it turns out that that guy is missing. And that's what happened because the, the rivers in Gaon are are pretty dangerous. And he went on to find like a giant fish that could have done it.
0: Yeah, that could have, like, that's attacked. always what it is, isn't it?
1: And yeah, it's all it's, but but the interesting thing is that it is a giant fish that exists.
0: <laughs> right, sure. Yeah, um, I gotta remember that when my. uh... You know, somebody close to me dies to make sure to do it next to a, to a to Central American river full of big, nasty fish. Yeah. So that I can eventually blame it on one of Jeremy Wade's, you know, escapades. Yeah.
1: <laughs> There's an Alaskan mermaid called the Qualy Pollock that steals
0: children. But how does well? I guess Alaska is full of tons of bodies of water. It is a massive place. Yeah. What is particular yeah. about the Quali? Am I say, saying that right? Kuali Pollock uh, Yeah. Q
1: A L U P
0: A L I K. Okay, so um, what's the deal? What's the deal with that? With her, them, whichever. It is an Inuit legend
1: uh they describe her as having long wild hair, green skin and fingernails so long that they can uh chop limbs off. Uh she wears Ooh. a garment called an amyotic? Uh I'm not going to say that right. Um which is wor- worn by Inuit women to hold their babies on their backs like a papoose. Mm. Um, and she carries away unsuspecting children that go pretty much don't go near the edge of the damn
0: ice. Ah, uh, okay. So like, uh, <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> it's boogeyman style. Thing.
0: Yeah. Like don't go over that way. Kind of monster. Yeah. Don't go over that way or the quali Pollock will get you. Yeah. But there's a
1: lot of really good art for the quali Pollock mermaid specifically. Like.
0: I've seen a couple of these before. Yeah, they're scary when she's coming through like the uh, the breaks in the ice and stuff. It's it's yeah. rough.
1: Are you looking it's, at yeah. the one where uh there's kind of bubbles coming out of her mouth and there's a kid?
0: Yeah, and there's like a little kid yeah. like up above her head. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah, that's a pretty good image. Um it also kinda it kind of looks like a magic card, honestly. It's got little little fish. Yeah, little 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 fish guys swirling around. Yeah, that's a yeah, creepy that's one. Yeah, that's
1: something that's something in Magic cards uh, like continue. I don't know if it's a specific artist style or not, but there's always like a little creature uh to show like size comparison to to what the Have you noticed yeah. that? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, no, like, I think that's no, it's actually good because like so many things whether if you're selling your mermaids on eBay, you want to know how big they are in relationship to a can of RC Cola. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's great. It's freaky, but, but it's almost like she's wearing kind of a natural garment, or but maybe it's made out of seaweed, or it's got kind of like a rope belt. But she's still like a freaky guild webbed fingered clawed like abomination it's it's got a good it's got a good aspect to it we're going to have to put this on the instagram yeah no it's uh, it says Qualipollock by joy ang so we'll will determine whether that is accurate I whether have this heard is that actually actually by Joy Ang or not, so um, uh, I'll have to cut it out if that's wrong but it looks like it is by Joy Ang. Yeah, I really like this illustration it's all blue aquamarine and the the light effects coming through the ice and we are down kind of past the POV of the the mermaid monster kind of, she's got like a witchy (laughs) sea hag kind of vibe going on Yeah, no, uh,
1: Joy Ang's a real artist yeah I knew I heard of her um, she does a bunch of dragons and mermaids and unicorns.
0: <laughs> well there you go huh. no uh, this is a, this there is a really cool this is a really cool illustration so the yeah the, I I'd, I'd be interesting to use a version of this in a game like quali Pollock style know, this would be really good for um, rhyme of the goddamn frost maiden <laughs> yes so this would be I, don't, I, I this would be really good for um, putting into the frost maiden reality uh, yeah, you know like because you don't i you don't immediately think about things being under the ice and and how much water there is under the ice and and yeah. whether 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 you're walking on a body of water or not and when you w- transition onto a lake or a you know a, a river that's frozen over or whatever this would be a yeah, really I terrifying
1: the, the fear for the players is always just not to fall in not like what happens after you fall in
0: yeah, because this like if yeah. you if you have a if you stat this as um, a kind of mermaid or a kind of like frozen sea hag or something, this yeah. would make a really really terrifying encounter because it's it's um, uh, it it's it's worse than fi- than running into a hag because it's got it would have so many advantages against you as a player. Yeah. And it would,
1: it would narratively probably have a crying baby.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's. (laughs) You hear a crying baby. (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's a real triple threat right there. Ooh, yeah, I don't, um, I, I'm already freaked out by this encounter that I've just imagined in my head like five minutes ago. That's, that's that's good.
1: That's what I meant by like, um, earlier, uh, listeners of the show, I said that. Mermaids is hard for me to make fun, so I'm not going to make it fun. I'm going to tell everybody uh, about how I feel about mermaids, which is they're dangerous and scary. Um, <laughs> adventurous and real. But um, yeah, they are. Yeah. They're dangerous and scary, and there's nothing um, great about Ariel the Little Mermaid. Like, I, I was beyond <laughs> a child whenever the Little Mermaid came out. Like, I was old uh-huh. enough to know about real-ass dangers, like the ocean. And like, right. um, uh, everybody loved that movie, especially like uh, uh, girls my age, which which was still like we like we like the Disney movie. So what? You know, it was kind of cool to do that um, uh-huh. around fourteen, and it's like, okay, that's fine, but it's about a scary mermaid, <laughs> like. <laughs>
3: Like there's a yeah. there's
1: a squid witch in it that is um, the cartoony yeah. friendly version of exactly what I fear, which is an octopus looking thing in the ocean that I can't see.
0: Like <laughs> yeah, as I'm rolling around the the concept in my head and and trying to to pin down like the. The, the mythical origins of why would this populate, you know, populate my mind if I was out on the ocean? If I was a seagoing person, if I was yeah. a sailor or a pirate or something, why would this um, myth hold power for me? And I think it's what it reminds me of is kind of it's like the the seafaring version of the Oasis Mirage. And but, I, but and yeah. and what I mean is that it's it's the most unlikely thing that you, to, that you're gonna find, but it's also the thing that you do want to find. You know, I mean, if you're mm-hmm. if you're wandering through the Sahara or whatnot, like Lawrence of Arabia style, the thing that you want to stumble across is an oasis, right? You want to yeah. stumble across. Yeah, some place that's bountiful and verdant and green, with a babbling brook, so that you can that you're finally you're saved, someplace safe. Uh, And I would say that similarly, if you've spent a year or three on the ocean without really going into port, what you want to find is like a random beautiful woman on a rock, right? Yeah. And so that in a way, there is a taboo. Um, there is a, a concern about fo- there's an illusory aspect to, oh, that's the thing that I want to be seeing. But is it really there or is it just a seal or if not a seal, yeah. is it a scary monster? Is, am I, is there a bait yeah. and switch aspect to this? and, and then, Combined with the
1: banality of the thing that you're seeing constantly, which is like a fish.
0: Right 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 <laughs> yeah. that, that that your brain is pulling this like oh not this but that what you're looking for versus what you get the yeah. um, you know like what what you what it looks like on the internet from when it shows up from amazon.com like yeah. the the reality versus perception um, duality there I think is uh, is similar and that if if you if you if you take that, Breading and roll up the fear of what lives under the surface of the water. Uh, you know, like if if that's the pepperoni in your pepperoni roll, is the fear of what's under there that you don't understand. There's, I think, that's where you get it, mermaid, and it's where you get it, like siren. It's where you get it. A lot of these like feminine monstrosities that are related to bodies of water in the ocean. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you might, people might think, like, why does Gavin keep bringing um, nautical monsters into the shop? And it's because the sea scares the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's gigantic. You don't know what's in there. Whatever, you know, screw space. Space is cold and gigantic yeah, and we'll never yeah, know anything space. beyond We're, the moon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah. bottom of the ocean is a terrifying and wonderful place. And, um... A mermaid is the concept of both uh, what's in the water, the unknowable, and, like, the psychological creation that's real enough to have you jump off the side of a frickin' boat um, in whatever uh, delusional desperation that you would have. Like, I I would think that uh, if I was on a boat, um, I wouldn't care if it was a sexy woman or not, it would just be somebody who wasn't another crew member that I would run off to go and talk to. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's just I see yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, something just new, any, I'm going to go do it, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any any change from the standard?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, but that's, that's why I keep bringing nautical things. It's because the the sea is a combination of both the unknown and things that I know damn well are in there are dangerous. Like <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's um Encapsulated in the mermaid, in the, the in because a, a mermaid is kind of not like a werewolf in the sense that, like, because it's it's kind of divided in half, though, in the like, yeah, in the very literal top bottom thing, it's kind of the where you have the. And I'm trying to avoid the very obvious like fish, tackle, bait, and switch joke that my brain keeps trying <laughs> to make. But well, it got me with it. <laughs> it wasn't I didn't even make the joke, but it but the the like <laughs> the 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 top and bottom were like, "Oh, everything up here is normal." And then you 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 keep tracking down like a JPEG loading in the year 1993. Uh mm. and and as you go down, it keeps getting worse and worse, and you're like, "Oh no, it was a fish the whole time." <laughs> and oh, there is a And that descending into the story um, feeling of going from the top beautiful woman to the bottom, like a a nightmare that represents what literally lives under the surface, is also kind of encapsulates um, maybe a generational fear about um, you know, masculine anxieties about women generally. You yeah. know, like there's, it's yeah. not mer, it's not mer men. I mean, you're talking about a this is a this is a, a hyper masculine culture for it, it, centuries, if not millennia, of people that are seafaring, going yeah. back. Past the Greek times, you know, it, 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 past antiquity, you know, your sailors, your sailors are almost exclusively men, and yeah. the thing that, and and what they're obsessing about in their downtime, and it's you know, if you're not working your fucking ass off, it's all drunken downtime, and. Yeah. And then, what are what are you obsessed about, and and what are your anxieties about it? And the idea that women are mysterious and unknowable in this way—that is—that is not helpful. That makes them unrelatable. That puts them in this kind of angelic or other category. I think that the mermaid is a way to um, put the idea of femininity on the mantle. Uh, Or on the figurehead, you know, or on the Starbucks cup and like make it, make it turn it into a a platonic ideal or a statue rather than something that you actually have to go home to and have a conversation with. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense.
2: I have a warning for you, girl, a very special destiny.
1: The story that Hans Christian Andersen wrote is awful. Like, as in, not like off. It's well written, but it's it's a a terribly depressing story. This uh, Uh, the main character, the Little Mermaid, is constantly being tortured and like given little bits of like what she seeks, and then that's immediately taken away and given some type of circumstance where that she can't possibly overcome. But like at at the end of it, um, she becomes like an angel type thing. Um, but that's not how it originally ended. Hans Christian Andersen, uh, wrote it so that she doesn't die and go to heaven or anything. She dies and doesn't exist. And that's like a fact that mermaids know that there's no like afterlife
0: for mermaids. <laughs>
1: like, and the original ending was that she was
0: just going to what? end up not existing. <laughs> What a what a great Disney song. We yeah. all know there's no <laughs> heaven for mermaids. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, there's no heaven for mermaids. When you I better die, make them just tr- fall in love with you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Falling into the ground. Um, yeah. we all know there's no heaven for mermaids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh what an what an interesting take. For, I'm sure, someone who, who was obsessed with um, Victorian or, or pre-Victorian concepts of the afterlife. Yeah. Um, w- huh.
1: which, which was weird, also, because um, going into Mermaids, when I was looking into all of this, I didn't know the Hans Christian St- uh, Anderson story, and, like, sure. I just learned about it, like, recently. And I started to feel sorry for, like, the mermaid that I was scared of. So that was a weird uh, double take, and I, I was, as I was reading the little short story, like the play, I thought, well, why do I feel bad about this creature that I'm going gonna to be scared of in any other content? Like whenever, <laughs> if somebody brings up mermaids in D&D, now I'm going to think, there's no heaven for mermaids! I'm not going well, d- to attack
2: it!
0: <laughs> I, only because you've brought up this perspective a number of times, and I, I can't speak to the original Hans Christian Andersen story because I, I I haven't I haven't read the original thing. But yeah. um, as part of communities that I participate in, there are people who, in some of those communities, take the Disney story of Ariel and relate her to an uh, an autistic character because of the way that she experiences uh, a dual reality, that the under-the-sea reality is kind of her neurodivergent reality where everything is um, dynamic and understandable to her. And then to, for when she crosses over a threshold to become... Um, part of the rest of the world, meaning the the landlubbery world, and she does, and and what she trades, it, and the reason that this analogy um, has some legs is what she trades is her ability to speak and communicate with people, and so whether it is you know whether you, obviously I really doubt that there was anybody at Disney that had this in mind, but there are parallels there for people. That experience um, nonverbalism, or are still nonverbal, or are semi-verbal, or have trouble being verbal. That that um, analogy has a persistent and compelling meaning, and that she's trying to relate to quote-unquote normal people, and that you can take the oceanic under-the-water, under-de-sea reality and the juxtaposition with, quote-unquote, regular reality, the normal world, the dry world, and her desire to be a part of it. And it can, to people that have a sense of that dichotomy of trying to relate to, quote-unquote, the regular world, um without the tools that most people have to do so, I can see how that the lining up of that story feels be- very profound and relevant. There's something about the alienation of that character, whether it's in the Disney version or it sounds like the original Hans Christian Andersen story, that that alienation and trying to step into and the desire to step out of the darkness and into the light, so to speak, and to enter into society in a way that we are all acknowledged and accepted and understood and are able to communicate. I think that there's probably a profound and universal aspect to that narrative that can loop somebody, even such as yourself, who is so predisposed against Nightmare underwater witches with fangs that are going to eat you any second. <laughs> do you see what I? You, you, I mean, does that as someone as someone who's read the Christian Anderson Anderson story, does that make sense? Yeah. The, the well, yeah. The,
1: like that she is just
0: painted so that she is just painted so sympathetically that even Gavin, who is terrified of her, um, <laughs> yeah. ends up ends up relating to her uh, on some level.
3: There she is! Behold it! Get that thing out of my hair! Behold the
1: mermaid! Yeah, yeah, well, I'm not I'm gonna be um, st- honestly second guessing attacking any mermaids. In, like, of or and now all I can think of is um, Ordinary World by Duran Duran.
0: Uh, just in tone, or in, in some way in <laughs> content, because like I know that pretty well too. It does sound oh. very. Mer- it feels very mermaidy. Yeah, because is it just a t- gut thing, or do you actually have a reason that you are not explaining?
1: Oh no, that's a gut thing. Um, like, but now that I think about it, like, take take the Little Mermaid and then just shove that Duran Duran song in there, and you've got a music video.
0: I need to think if we if we took Simon LeBon and chopped him up into a bunch of little pits, little bits and pieces, and, and took him to SeaWorld and threw him in a bunch of shark tanks, we would come out with something. We <laughs> <we'd, we'd, laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, well the the ordinary
1: world video had like a shark at the beginning of it. Maybe that's what your brain
0: was doing, and your brain didn't know it. Yeah, sharks aren't mermaids. <laughs> I'm not saying that sharks are mermaids I know, to wrap that up Sharks aren't mermaids <laughs> Hey, in case you were going to get through this episode And not realize it Sharks, mermaids, not the same thing Not the same, you're going b- you you to gonna have, need a bigger if you try to need a bigger
1: ending You're going to need a bigger concept to end on
0: If you have <laughs> If you try to have sex with either end of a shark It's not going to go well well, I don't.
1: that's kind of similar to a mermaid, though.
0: Trying to have sex with a shark? <laughs> I, did you know? Did you know? Yeah. I was going to completely miss this. I don't, I can't even, did you know? Okay, first of all, this is, I'm going to start this with an anecdote, and then don't let me forget to get past the anecdote and get to the actual fucking point. All One right. time, when I think I was at a dodgeball tournament, where I was with my friend, Sally who lives in uh, Ohio And I was flying back To California because I still lived in California At the time and so it was a Flight from like Cleveland to California And I got on and in first class The first person that I saw that was in First class well I saw I had Seen him getting on so I knew he was on Was Neil Young who's about (laughs) 100,000 years old but yeah. in addition to that, um, it, Neil Young and his entourage was like one row behind was Daryl Hannah. and oh, yeah. Uh, I, go- I usually, I care so little about what celebrities do and who they're friends with, but in this case, I Googled it because I was like, Daryl Hannah, Neil Young, it turns out they're like married or, or, or like, yeah, they're, they're dating. Married. They've been, they're, they're <laughs> yes. a thing. Anyway, I wouldn't know. Yeah. I don't. What celebrities do and who they Whose faces they lick It's just really not my department It's not how my brain works I'm not a page seven type And but I did look that up And I was like yeah how about that And then so that was interesting to me And then recently um, When I had reason to Look up a list of people, a list of famous autistic people, including Dan Aykroyd, one of my favorite four Ghostbusters, the is <laughs> is a, is a very famous and prominently. Autistic person. Uh, additionally, so is Daryl Hannah on the same list that, like, where he was on a specific list of people that were um, diagnosed decades ago. So is she, and the reason that comes up is uh, we were we're talking about the little Slash. mermaid. We're talking we're we're talking about mermaids. We're talking about weird depictions of mermaids. There is perhaps. N- no more relevant depiction of a pop culture mermaid, second only to Ariel in the Disney movie, than uh, to the 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 real one that got my attention at least when I was a child was Tom Hanks and John Candy and Daryl Motherfucking Hanna um, walking yeah. mystically up onto Battery Park in the uh, the first yeah. the first Battery few Park, minutes this. of. Yeah. Um, the first few minutes of uh, Splash, which was yeah. uh, a prof- profoundly effective on me, mostly because I just loved it as a movie. Um, the th- I was so young that, like, N- Daryl Hannah's, like, naked body was actually pretty low ranked because uh, I think I started watching that movie, and I was, like, six years old. So I was like, that's noteworthy, but then left it at there for another, yeah. like, ten years. <laughs> yeah.
2: She has legs out of the water. She has fins in the water.
0: Um, but I would say that I, like, whether I like it or not, there's a kind of, um, so like a, there's a correlation happening there between Daryl Hannah's, um, (sighs) A portrayal of Mermaid Mermaidism I guess that's the word We're gonna go with Mermaidism Mermaidry has oh, gotta be a word for it Um Mermandry Mermandistry
1: merm- Um no, uh, Yeah Like uh <laughs> Not a staris, yeah. Not a starisus.
0: Um, not. <laughs> it's, you're, but anyway, go what on. What you're saying is makes less sense than what I'm saying. What but <laughs> um, her her mermaidism, mermermandistry. Mer- yeah, mermandistry. Oh man, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to be so mad at me when I have to cut this up. But my merm her 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 mer mermaidism. Um, that I think. I would be really curious given the many many years since if you were to ask her about it like how she relates to that cuz that movie they do they depict her visually yeah. in a very specific way her yeah. her her how would i describe her visual takes, her facial expressions and how otherworldly the the world of the land is and her alienness inside of New York City. I can't believe that this is actually the phrase about this, but literally her fish out of waterness in yeah. <laughs> 1980s New York City. And the way that she is able to encompass being somebody who shouldn't be where she is. Yeah. um, I wouldn't be surprised if if her take on it was in some way related to her neurodivergence that that she feels that way all the fucking time.
3: There's at least six different types. Up, down, strange, charmed, bottom, and top that's their
0: flavor. I, I I don't think that there would be nothing there. I think that she would 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 have an opinion about it if you asked her. I I always found her portrayal really fascinating. Like she was so captivating, oh, yeah. she, not not she just did
1: but, a, Yeah, she did. And a it's it's not just because she's job. like it was it was um it was the definition of whimsical. She
0: <laughs> it's, not, it's not just because she's like a nice person to look at right well, like she, tom no, hanks no. is she she kept like, like tom my attention hanks
1: through the movie at an age where if there wasn't somebody jumping on a grenade then i wouldn't fucking watch it and i watched splash whenever i was like nine to 13 and um i watched the whole movie and i liked it and i i wanted to watch it again unlike say um that was during my phrase phase where it needed to be Terminator or Predator. So,
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was it, a, was, it was a, yeah, it was an MC, it was an Uzis or nothing phase for Gammon. Yeah. yeah I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I there's something between her and 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 Tom Hanks and Eugene Levy and John Candy and everybody else. There's something about, about that movie, like where the whole movie kind of feels like that that lobster eating scene, where yeah. every <laughs> fucking thing that Opie directs in that movie just is so like <laughs> there's a there's a visceral like sucking the marrow out juicy. Well, yeah. carnal, viscous well, quality yeah, to, like, water every anymore. single thing. She's, well, on and it's this, not, it's, she's on the
1: land where all the all the mammals fucking eat each other and not the sea where food kind of uh, swims into your mouth. Is, yeah, but I, I imagine her world is like, I'm not saying the ocean is like that, it certainly isn't. It's definitely fish eat fish in the ocean. But, like, her world was probably some type of magical, uh, Necessities taken care of, like bountiful paradise, and like then she comes to New York, where uh, that feeling needs to be uh, subconsciously installed by the director somehow. And Opie did a great job doing that. Yeah, Ron Howard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we the, should probably call, stop slamming him by calling him Opie. He's like, he's like, he's like seventy years old. I'm, but Ron I wasn't going to do I, that until you did. <laughs> well, Ron. Well, the thing I like. I, I actually like Ron Howard a lot. Ron Howard. And yeah, I love Ron Howard. I think <laughs> I, and my point is, is really like a compliment about, and a curiosity about whether it was something by design to make every scene, it feels like every scene, just have some kind of, like in some way, you everything on screen, you kind of wanted to like bite into it or eat it like every like <laughs> yeah. and I'm not even ta- I'm not a- talking about Daryl Hannah. I'm talking about like, yeah. you know, even at yeah. the very beginning where John Candy is screaming at his brother, Tom Hanks, about the slimy cherries or the guy, yeah. you know, the, the like the shitty guy that brings in the slimy cherries or or the fountain in the middle of the living room or the ice skating scene. Everything just feels like. Like you could, like you could taste it, and yeah. I, th- I whether that was by design or by accident or just by eighties film stock or whether Tom Hanks is just an edible motherfucker, I don't know. But mm. it, it, there was just something about that movie that gave it a, a sense of it, it's not otherworldly or otherworldliness because it, it's not like. Uh, How would I say it's not like the never ending story that feels like it's made out of cotton candy or out of ideas like it doesn't feel unreal. (laughs) It feels like extra real like it feels like you could eat it. It it, it feels like you could take a big bite out of the the witch's gingerbread house, so to speak. But um, now I'm I'm, I'm beating a horse, but I don't know that I. I, I'm really curious I'm very curious if you were to ask Daryl Hannah about it in retrospect uh, uh, w- about <laughs> how her br- if the way her brain worked really contributed to her um, uh, portrayal of Madison the mermaid and uh, you know if she's if she's made. Um, interesting observations about that since then because, because then you've got at least two points on a diagram t- talking about neurodivergence in relationship to mermaidism which we're just I'm just it's just mermaidism we're, that's the word we're going with mermaidism sorry everybody
3: I think Sebastian therefore I am
0: yeah do you want to do um, a a new obscure word Oh yes, you gotta help remind me to do this one every episode. What? Okay. Um, we <clears throat> we did not do one last time. You brought it up, but we were off mic by the time it came up. Yeah, I've I've got a couple. It's <laughs> okay. Well, hit hit me with a uh, hit me with a um villainous vocab v- villainous vocab here or whatever.
1: Here, whatever a villainous it. vocab. Here is the first villainous vocab that's a new obscure word that is kind of like a word of the day from here at oops all monsters um i think that it would be cool to start off with thaco uh uh huh uh huh
0: uh-huh. you're saying tho- you're saying soft o sound thaco <laughs> yeah. is that always how you said it cuz i say i've always said thaco thaco like,
1: yeah okay um,
0: like sat down thaco I think
1: it's because I was presenting it. That uh, I had it, to say, so
0: that's your mid-Atlantic presentation. Yeah, that's my Tho- mid-Atlantic thoco. presentation
1: of the word. Yeah, Faco. Yeah, okay. or Thaco. So um, in casual conversation, Thaco.
0: All right. So with, without, so I have not looked this up. So right off of the dome, um, I'll go ahead and define it, which is so yeah. So that Thac O, it's a that the O is not an O, it's a zero. It means it's trans. I, I at least I at least know the actual acronym yeah. or initialism. Don't at me. Uh, it's two. It's the Dungeons and Dragons term, original Dungeons and Dragons term two, to hit armor class zero, which was the completely bass ackwards methodology that you would. Um, mechanically figure out what your attack quality was Uh, anybody that has only been playing uh, in the 5e bandwagon era and beyond of Dungeons and Dragons can go rightly fuck themselves for not having to put in all of the damn stupid ass math to understand Thacko um, yeah. which was the, you, which was roll which is basically attempting to roll down against a high number rather than rolling up against a low number kind of anyway fuck it yeah anyway, when, you, when you,
1: you use simple math 8 times a second it becomes algebra
0: it so. just <laughs> it shouldn't have been a complicated thing it should it should yeah. it should have should, been what it is now or something like what it is now in 5e since, like, second damn edition <laughs> because it's it's really not that hard. So you're trying to hit a high number, have a high number, add a moderate number to it, and either do or do not.
1: Yeah, I dare any new player who is confused by these rules to try and do it with Thacko because, as you can see, like the very word Thacko has this power to make two middle... Uh, Middle aged men Angry Cynical And
3: confused Just
1: by saying The word Thacko We could barely Get out All of our Resentment
0: (laughs) Yeah Well I mean To come up with To come up with A hot To start out It's infuriating I want to have A high number So that when I am Trying to achieve A mid-sized number And I subtract A small from Small number from it I still arrive At a mid-sized number High enough to hit something is as yeah. is, is like having my fingernails pulled out one by one by Quentin Tarantino is <laughs> just should it's, it's an abomination against user interface and it should have never existed anyway yeah um, you,
1: all that of you was, that all was of you, excellent for that
0: <laughs> all, of, all of you new gamers just 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 be th- Be happy. You never have to deal. How to deal with with Ben Barr's lift gates and back out. <laughs> uh, ben Barr's lift gates made sense. I mean, yeah, it was, it was non-logical, but at least it was just a one number. Yeah, like, roll a one hundred. And uh, now for the segment that we are calling. Describe Nick Cave, where we describe a particular photo of musician, songwriter, and Renaissance man, Renaissance man and all-around weird dude uh, Nick Cave. So, Gavin, you found um, this particular image. Yeah, I for found us, found this
1: image, which must have been from a Spin magazine photo shoot, and uh-huh. he looks like he is definitely at a photo shoot. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's I'm gonna call we're, start, we're starting to get a subgenre of uh, of of shoots where Nick Cave is tolerating being photographed. Yeah um, where you can really tell that's the that's his action verb. He's really tolerating the scenario. There's also um,
1: always something deeper past his eyes because he's just that type of person. There's something yeah. more than him just sitting there tolerating being photographed. He's thinking of something on the opposite end of what's going on that has to be absolutely bonkers.
2: <laughs> For
0: some reason, yeah, his intense gaze has given me the impression that he's thinking about the like the the massacre scene in the bar in the vampire film Near Dark. Um <laughs> I don't know what's giving me that. Something about his mouth is very Bill Paxtony. He's got. He yeah. kind of looks Bill Paxtony in this in this photo. And I, don't yeah. know what, I don't know what that's about.
1: He's giving off a of Bill Paxton by He's missing Bill Paxton already in 1989.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like the um, the streamers that somebody spent all of 30 seconds to put there to make an allusion to to the birthday party. Yeah, Um, Yeah. it's like. I'm sure he's thrilled about that. (laughs) Hey, look, something, something's about something. You know this guy, this guy from that other thing. Yeah. (laughs) Here I am at the thing. (laughs) No, I'm. You know, I'm just realizing how. uh, I'm just realizing right now that technically, Nick Cave has a mullet. Yeah. And has always had a mullet. He's as always I, had literally a literally yeah. every. He's got a he's got a uh, like a sneaky outback mullet. Yeah, but because it because it's like Raven Black, and that and that he's giving off enough of those like Kiefer Sutherland uh, vibes, like Lost Boys vibes that you do, you don't you don't actually clock it as a mullet. You clock it as like. Uh, cl- clove smoking poet hair, haircut.
1: Yeah, some kind,
0: <laughs> some type of corvid man. There's something about <laughs> the sh- the aspect of his um, mouth and jaw that looks like he's like smuggling an egg into jail in his mouth.
1: <laughs> I don't. Like, to me, <laughs> that looks like he's about to say something but never does. Like. Like he's about yeah. to say something really important or really mean, but he never does.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. It's like I require a Scotch egg. He, yeah, he does
1: not look like that when he's singing. He looks like a singing person when he's singing.
0: <laughs> no, he looks like he's about to start doing like an Elvis lip quiver. Kind oh of yeah. Of yeah, no. I
1: what there's... the hell is wrong with me? I said he looks like a singing person. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He looks like <laughs> something unbelievable when he's singing, and it's always, it's always, you can't catch him at a bad moment. Um, you know how you get pictures of people making goofy faces when, they're, when uh, you're singing?
0: I mean, the continued uh, job of this segment, I think, will either prove or disprove that hypothesis.
1: <laughs> I guarantee you that in, in any goofy face that he makes that we may think is goofy at first, if we spend long enough looking at it, it'll turn into something divine.
0: <laughs> or sometimes, <laughs> that your, your 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 thesis is that. If you look long enough at any picture of Nick Cave that that like the Proclaimers tape in that episode of um, of How I Met Your Mother, it will come back around to being profound and ecstatic as opposed to being sad and benign. Okay, well, I I hear you. I I'm, I, I don't know if I have the cojones to actually bet against you, but it's it's, it's, a, it's a bold cho- it's a bold choice. It's, it's, it's we'll find out. Choice.
1: This is this is truly an. Experiment in the
0: human then, endeavor. Then e- e- every, every every look into Nick Cave's eyes is is a is a <laughs> is a journey across the vast the vast outback <laughs> of of his soul. Um, all right, well we'll 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 find out. So that we will this has out. been today's today's edition of describing Nick Cave. Describing Nick Cave <laughs> and. That brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader. Until we bring you another batch of beast's bullywogs and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. Uh, I have I have been Hess. I've been Gavin. And we have been oops all
1: oops monsters. all monsters.
0: Oops. Oops, oops
1: all. all the same time. Oops, oops all. all
0: monsters. Oops. Oops. S- S- did it. We did it better. I did Oops. it. Oops, <laughs> all monsters. Goddard. Okay. All right. um, and
1: cut. Yeah, cut. <laughs> oh, where's my thing?